Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Wow, that's an intro. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Um, am I a slight Bible issue? So I might just ask for you to pull up a verse for me on your phone. Um, it's suddenly gone blank on me, which is not what you need at the start of a sermon. Um, morning, all. Um, I, I felt as soon as we were studying Luke and there were some sections that we were looking at, I really wanted to look at this particular scripture. So I asked Andy, can I have that one, please? I just feel God's got something to say this morning to all of us. Um, so we're going to be looking at Luke 9, verse 18 to 20. Uh, hopefully there's a slide set that, that Martin can pull up. Because the first thing to say about this verse before we read it is where it's set. So it's Luke 19, verses 18 to 20. Um, and it's actually also referred to in Matthew and in Mark. And it's in a place called Caesar Philippi. So if we move to the slides about that, I'll tell you a little bit about the spiritual significance of this area. So um, it's an area where there is a spring that is the start of the largest source of the River Jordan. It's an area that's very lush and green. It's got what they call a waterfall. To be honest, the photo I've seen looks a bit more like a small river. But anyway, they call it a waterfall. Um, And you can see on the top left there, that's the waterfall, which is... Yeah, but it's a lush and green area. But what you can't see on the top left picture so well that I've put on the right, and you see the little alcoves built into the rock face. Those are for idol worship. This was a place that people of the time went to worship the god of Hades. Now, we often hear about Hades being related to hell. So this was a place of idol worship. It was lush and it was green and it was the start of the river and that's all very pretty, But it was not a great place. So Jesus goes there. Let's read the scripture. Now it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with them. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, God's Messiah. So we've got Jesus in this place. And we're going to come on in a moment to talk about who Jesus is. And then we're going to look at who we say he is. Who do I say he is? But before we do that, let's just have a think about who am I? So I'm going to take a moment to tell you a little bit about me and to introduce the object lesson, so something we're going to focus on today. Now this came about as an object for to preach on from the quiz that Pete arranged. Brilliant night. If the quiz runs again, we're desperate for it to run again by the way. Um, the key question that caused the most controversy on the night of the quiz at our table was, how many segments are there in a chocolate orange? We had 10, we had 12, we had 22, we had 24. I think 20 was the right answer. Yeah, Alison's nodding, 20. Who knew? So today, my object lesson is on a chocolate orange. Can't leave it in a place that you're going to see it very easily. So next slide, please. So this tells you a little bit about who I am using 
the chocolate orange. Um, so if we haven't met before, um, I'm a nurse. I work at St George's Hospital. I've been a nurse my whole life. Uh, it's all I wanted to do when I was a kid. So it made career choices very easy. Um, you might tell from the accent, I am Scottish. Uh, I grew up in Glasgow, but I've been down here since bleh, 30 years ago or so. I've lived in England much longer now than I have in Scotland. So um, Most times my accent is quite soft, I think. Uh, it gets much stronger when I'm uh, up in Scotland. I've spent a few days there, um, or I'm a bit grumpy or a bit cross. Uh, I'm a wife, as you heard, husband Lee. I'm a stepmom to four great kids and a godmom to two brilliant kids, all of whom we see and are in contact regularly with. And you know what? I'm also a Christian, which I think is quite helpful today, I reckon. Um, so that tells you a little bit about me, and forgive my indulgence as I kind of introduce who I am. But do you know, it doesn't really tell you who I am, that tells you the jobs and the roles in life that I've got. Um, so I was kind of toying with this on the way to work one day and God said, uh, the seven dwarfs. Sorry, seven dwarfs? Um, so I'm going to pull up a picture now of the seven dwarfs. Um, and I'm happy, right? In the seven dwarfs, my character, I'm a happy-go-lucky character. I'm very occasionally grumpy, mostly when I'm hungry or tired. I'm a little bit sneezy in the summer but I'm not really the others. I'm, I'm pretty happy as a character. So that's a little bit about me, but I'll just caution you in, in looking at this. And, and I was kind of challenged a bit today. As I put that up, there were some people that actually, if they were going to describe themselves, they would actually say anxious, useless, stupid, dopey. Maybe like Susanna in that other video, not good enough. So be very careful of those descriptors that you use about yourself in your life. What does that say? What are you saying over your own life? And what have you accepted from other people that are either in the past or constantly telling you there's some character flaw that you've got that you take on as part of yourself? And I'll tell you a small story on that because we need to move on as well. Um, I used to say I'm not creative. Oh, these you know, the worship band and the musician, oh, I'm not, I'm not creative. And for years and years and years, I told myself I wasn't creative because I thought that was about these kind of musical capabilities. And God challenged me about that about six or seven years ago. I'm like, why are you saying that about yourself? Actually moving me from a place of saying that over my own life to saying, well, what do I need to do? I started off making some craft things for friends for Christmas. And then the thing I love doing with it now is doing some craft for the creche group. I am creative. Why am I saying that over myself? So when you describe yourself to people, please be really careful what it says about you. And if there's then a message from God to say, that's not right. You are not useless. You are not hopeless. You are not a lost case. So let's think about Jesus. Now, as I move on to talk about Jesus, let me be really clear. I am not saying Jesus is or was a chocolate orange, all right? It's an object lesson using this as an example. Um, so in Luke, what we can see already about Jesus, we we're gonna use um, some descriptors of him. This comes at the time after he's calmed a storm, he's done healings, he's delivered people, he's seen at least two resurrections, not seen, he's resurrected people, and he's just fed the 5,000. So you could use a lot of descriptors about Jesus. And if we move to the next slide, which does display Jesus as a chocolate orange, hence my uh, caution. 
And we could use all of the descriptors on the right, couldn't we? We could say healer, prophet, deliverer, resurrector, son. But that's all his roles and his miracles. What about his character? And I've just popped a few on the left there. Uh, kind, compassionate, patient, prayerful. So he was here in um, Caesar Philippi. He was praying. That's the reason he was there. Or that's where he started uh, doing while he was there. And at this time, let's remember... Jesus is in a place where the Roman oppressors have been squashing the Jews. They were waiting for a Messiah for generations of generations. They were waiting for someone to relieve them of the persecution they were under. And lots of scholars now talk about them expecting a political figure, someone to fight for the Jews. They're expecting a warrior, a strong man, somebody of royal descent somebody of power that was going to overthrow what they saw as the Roman oppression. Did they expect carpenter from Nazareth who hung out with fishermen, tax collectors? They didn't expect that. The Jews knew that God had promised a Messiah. I don't know that they expected it to come in the form of Jesus. So Jesus asks the disciples the first question, who do the people say I am? And what strikes me as I read it is, gosh, it's so much easier to look at what other people say. I don't know what you find, but it's so much more comfortable for me to talk about other people than it is about me. Oh, oh I, can, I can talk for ages about other people and what they do or don't do and what's right or what's wrong. Isn't it easier to think about it out there, somebody separate? And I wonder at this point, the people around um, at the time that the disciples would be responding on the basis of, they'd seen these miracles, right? They'd seen people resurrected from the dead. They'd seen people healed and delivered. They were trying probably to make sense of all these miracles. Okay, we've seen miracles of old. We've, we know the Old Testament. These guys knew the Old Testament. The rabbis and the scholars, they knew what God had done in the Old Testament. What do we do with this guy? He's like doing all this stuff. He's like feeding 5,000 people with small amounts. He's healing and resurrecting people. Are they trying to make sense of his spirituality? Maybe that's why they pick somebody like Elijah, strong leader of old. How do they try and make sense of this? Now, some of them are clearly a little bit off because they thought he was John the Baptist, which is a bit odd given that they both lived at the same time in history. But it was obviously something about John the Baptist that reflected what they thought Jesus was. Something about his connection with God, his faithfulness, uh, his willingness to just do what God asked him to do. So what about today? Who do people say Jesus is today? Let's have a little look at the next slide. Um, and this is a, a, a survey, I've put the reference at the bottom there, um, which is of 4,000 UK adults, about a quarter of whom were Christians. I'm just going to stand back a little bit for people on this side. Um, so 20% of people thought Jesus was God in human form who lived among people in the first century. So, so one in five. But bear in mind, about a quarter of this 
study was people who were already Christian. Um, 25% that he was a normal human being. And 33% said prophet, spiritual leader, but not God. And, and a few said other, and then there was 18% that didn't, didn't know. It's quite a hard question, isn't it? If you're not a Christian, who do you say that, that Jesus is? Ooh. Maybe we, we've heard in society about him enough that we might say prophet or leader. Um, but only 20% describe him as God in human form. Um, and for those of you that are good at maths, you'll realize that if there was um, a quarter of this study, i.e. 25% who said they were Christian, there's a bit of a gap between the Christians and the 20%. So there were some Christians that didn't actually answer that he was God in human form. And then the next slide tells you how people describe Jesus. Hmm. We'll give that one a minute to come up. Here we go. So this is descriptions of his character. Now, most of them are positive. They're described as peaceful, a role model, a leader, wise. There's a few that are a bit more negative. 3% thought he was boring. I mean, of all the things I'd say that you could describe Jesus as, boring is not one. We've just read in Luke of all these things he's done. I mean, that's not a boring meek, is it? And then quickly, the next slide, and then we'll flick on. Thank you. And next one. Lovely. Um, so uh, there's a funny world out there, isn't it? That people have got very positive things to say in general about Jesus, but that he was a prophet or a leader. All right. From that first survey, most people, when they describe Jesus, think he's a prophet or a leader, but not God in human form. So what does Jesus say? Here are some of his descriptors, often from the Gospel of John, actually. Um, and I'll let you read those, conscious of the people behind me. The bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the vine, the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet, I'm a leader, I am wise. He definitely doesn't say he's boring. And the thing about this is when we think about who Jesus is, we have to move to the next question. And I'll just get to hold on this slide for a minute. Jesus asks the next point, who do you say I am? Oh, now that's a bit more uncomfortable, right? Because a minute ago he's asking who everybody else thinks he is. That's okay. Let's talk about everybody else. But he doesn't. He says to his disciples, his mates, his band of brothers, who do you say I am? There's no getting out of that, is there? You just feel the moment in the, in, in the room or in the area of them going, ooh, you, you can't not answer it. You're going to have to answer that. We can't exist in other people's faith. We can't exist second-hand faith. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian. It doesn't matter if your spouse, your children, your mum, your aunt, your uncle. At the end of the day, the question is, who do you say? that Jesus is. So Peter replies and says, God's Messiah. And that wording acknowledges that he was both anointed and appointed to be God's chosen Christ. And even at this point, the disciples didn't fully understand what that meant because Jesus then goes on in the verses after we're going to think about today to tell them that he's going to have to suffer and die. 
So at this point, they don't really fully understand what's coming their way. But here's the thing about a chocolate orange. It's actually not only about the individual segments. It's not about the box. It's not about the, the, the plastic or the orange wrapper that helps us identify it. We move to the last slide. There's a middle. There's a middle of a chocolate orange, who knew? I wasn't going to try it today because actually I thought I'm going to just end up chocolate everywhere. There's a middle. We can't live as little separate segments. We have to make sure that Jesus is in the middle. And all the other things that we are, are from that. And if I go back to the description I used about myself, I think that's probably most often where I'm at, where there's one segment that's this today. I'm at work, so I'm nurse. I'm at home, so I'm X. I'm out and about, I'm Y. And maybe being Christian is one of those segments most often in my day-to-day -day life. Is it the core? I don't know. I'm not sure. We have to acknowledge Jesus as God's Messiah at the center of our life. Or it's just one segment that doesn't connect with any other part of us. It sits entirely separately on a little shelf ready for Sunday, applied and used, but on a Sunday only. And we leave here Sunday afternoon, Monday comes, Christian's back in the box again. It's not how chocolate oranges are made. There's a small but really crucial central part from which everything else connects. All those other little segments are connected to that small central strip. So do we describe Jesus as a prophet, a leader? He's loving, he's kind. That's true, it is true. But we can do all that and miss the main thing. We can miss the middle, the core. He's God's Messiah. He's the son of God who came to earth to live, to die, to save us, to reconnect us with God. And he's alive today. The core of who Jesus was, was God's Messiah. And he was also a prophet and a leader and a teacher and prayerful and powerful. But that's not the main thing. So I don't know, maybe today you're exploring faith. You're just trying to work out where things are at. Don't stop at thinking he was a prophet or a leader or a teacher. There's an invitation there to let him as Messiah be the center of who you are. And I felt this morning as I was getting ready, there's someone today that needs to hear that Jesus is gentle. He's not going to ramrod into your life. Maybe life's been tough. Maybe people have been tough to you. Jesus is gentle. And for people that are Christians, maybe we live our lives sometimes where he's not the center. Maybe he becomes our get out of jail card when things are hard, when we're facing difficulties, when money's tight, when health is rough. 
then we lean on him. I lean on him in a different way than day to day. Maybe we get to the point where we look for the miracles and the breakthroughs. But it's not from relationship day to day. Maybe we put one foot in and aren't yet fully deposited with Jesus at the center. Maybe we're holding back. Or maybe we lose perspective, right? We start off well, we know that he's a center, we know it, but we just don't live it. And gradually over time, those things become crowded out by day-to-day life, by bills, by work, by pressures of family life. I feel like for Christchurch, there is a season coming of cleansing and reconnecting and recommitting ourselves. And we've got to start with the main thing. If we go through into that season and we're not putting Jesus as the middle, we're not putting him as Messiah at the center, it's going to be really hard work. So Jesus isn't a chocolate orange. I only ever eat chocolate oranges at Christmas, actually, and this one's got a snowman on it, which reminds me of that. So maybe when we get to Christmas, it will just remind you as well, every time you see a chocolate orange about putting Jesus at the center. Um, And this message is as much for me as for everyone today. Is Jesus the center? Do we focus on the other parts of our life so much more than him and put him in the middle? So I'm going to ask the the band to come back up. and in a few minutes, we're, we're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's a bit in Romans in the message, which is one of my real favorite verses about how we respond to challenges like this. And it's from Romans 12. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So I don't have all the answers today, but I want to put Jesus right in the middle. And I want to do that in my everyday, ordinary life. That's all I can do for him.